some of you may remember uh, a few weeks ago, um, I was talking about how the Lord had given me uh, a word for this year, for 2014, that it was to be a year of life. And we had read, and we're going to read these verses again in, in Deuteronomy 30, and I really believe that, that there's something here that the Lord wants us to dig into a lot deeper. You know, what does it mean to choose life? What does it mean that God is the creator of life, that he's the giver of life, that Jesus said, and we're going to read those verses in John 10, 10, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. What does that mean? What is, what is an abundant life that some people have played that out into, well, that you would be blessed, you would have more stuff, you know, that you'd have a nicer house and a bigger car and, you know, and so on and so forth. Is that what it means? Is that what Jesus was talking about when he said, I've come to give you life and life to the full? Um, I don't believe it is. And I don't have any problem with God blessing us in, in material ways. But, but Jesus was talking about something far more significant than that. So I want you to turn with me. This, today's going to be kind of an introduction. Um, I don't know. We'll probably be here for a few weeks talking about, you know, the, the, the whole, I guess, overall sermon will be called Choose Life. And, and we're going to dig into some very specific areas in our lives and in our world and how that plays out into the things that we think and the way that we believe and, and, and the way that we act. Because all of us would know and understand that what we truly believe gets played out in what we do. I've often said, I can tell what you believe by what you do. It's not the other way around. I don't, I don't tell what you um, do by what you say you believe because oftentimes our beliefs and our life don't add up. You know, that's what we call hypocrisy, right? And I always love the fact that, you know, the world looks at the church and oftentimes says we're hypocrites. Well, everyone's a hypocrite. I mean, you know, what, like people in the world actually do what they say they believe? Well, of course they don't. I mean, you know, at times we do, but the reality is, as I like to tell people, I'm a recovering hypocrite. You know, we're all, we're all hypocrites, you know, because the truth of it is that there's things that we do believe, but somehow it doesn't play out into our action for lots of reasons. But I think, you know, we're always going to come back to the Word of God. What's the Word of God say? We're saying that this is the foundation for our life, that this is what's supposed to determine how we leave, what li- live, that what Jesus said. So we're going to always challenge ourselves to come back to being biblical Christians, to knowing what the Word of God says and doing what the Word of God tells us. Because there's, it's way easier to just talk about stuff and not do anything. And, you know, it's, it's oftentimes, and I know this is a generalization, but, it, but oftentimes it can be the problem with academia, is it's this place where people love to talk about things, but in many ways it doesn't ever amount into the, the changing of stuff. There's always a small group of people that actually go and do something that changes the world that we live in. And, and, and oftentimes um, the worlds in academia don't really encourage that. In fact, sometimes they, they really discourage that. They actually want people to think pretty much the same. They say, well, this is a place where you can learn to think freely and question stuff. Well, it just kind of depends on whether that's things they want you to question, right? And I mean, that's in every world. I've been in quite a few different academic settings. And, you know, they tend to like conformity. Culture likes conformity. But yet, God says, I want you to live according to my spirit. Your, my spirit now lives in you, and I want you to hear what he says and obey it. And you go, well, sometimes that's not really popular. Yeah, sometimes it's not popular. It wasn't popular in Jesus' day. 
It's not popular in our day. It's never popular in anybody's day to actually follow God. Like we are just talking about Noah. I mean, Noah's the only one that it tells us in that whole time that actually had a relationship with God. I mean, not even his sons and his wife weren't saved because of their action. They were saved because of his. The only reason they were on the ark was because God said you can bring your wife and your sons and their wives. And never, never does it actually say they were walking blameless before God. Only one guy in the entire world. And you go, man, talk about unpopular. You know, and so we shouldn't be surprised that when we walk according to the Word of God that some people aren't going to understand it. Some people are going to think we're, we're just a little bit odd. And we don't want to do that with arrogance, but we do want to do that with confidence. So I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy 30. And uh, again, I'm going to read this, this whole chapter. So bear with me. It's only 20 verses, but I think it's important because this is when God is reiterating to the people of Israel the commitment that he already made, the covenant that he already made. So he's, he's once again restating that if you follow me, if you obey me, then I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless all of your descendants. So starting in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 1. Now it, now it shall come to pass, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I've set before you, and you call them to mind among the, all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey His voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity, have compassion on you, and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. This should encourage us. That he's saying, it doesn't matter where you go, no matter how badly you disobey me, that when you turn back to me and you choose to listen to me and obey what I've commanded you, I'm going to bring you back from wherever you are, out of captivity, out of every nation, and I'm going to bring you back and I'm going to bless you. Verse 4, it says, If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there He will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Also, the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you. And you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all His commandments which I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as He rejoiced over your fathers if you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep His commandments and His statutes which are written in this book of the law. And if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So, I mean, again, amazing promise. God says, if you turn to me, obey me with all your heart and your soul, man, I'm not only going to, you know, prosper you as much as I did your father, I'll prosper you more than your father. It says everything, the increase of the fruit of your body, so it means in reproduction, your family, the increase of your livestock, what you do, the produce of your land, everything you put your hand to is going to be blessed. Verse 11, for this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you. We've read these before. God's saying, by the way, this is pretty simple. I'm not making it really difficult. What I'm telling you is not a mystery. Uh, what I'm saying is what I mean. You know, God, God's clear. He doesn't try to make it confusing. He's saying, what I'm saying is what I'm saying. So what you're saying is, yeah, that's what he's saying. If you will turn to me, you will obey my commands. This is what I'll do. <laughs> for this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. 
It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments, His statutes and His judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Again, this is an amazing promise. And God says, you know what? If you do this, if you obey me, if you honor my word with all your heart and soul, man, I will, I'll bless you and your descendants. But if you don't, then all these curses, and before this in Deuteronomy, it lists them. So if you want to read them, there's a lot of them, and they're not good. And, you know, and he says, thankful, he says the curses would go into, I think it's the fifth generation, but blessings itself will go into a hundred generations. So if we honor God and we serve him, then we know that blessings will go upon us and all those after us for a long time to come. But he's clear. And he says, so I put the choice before you. You get to choose. He says, there's life and death, blessing and cursing. Which one are you going to choose? Now, it would seem that we would all go, well, of course, I'm going to choose life. Of course, I'm going to choose blessing." Well, theoretically, and that's what we're going to get into, is that a lot of times what we say and what we do aren't the same. So we, of course, I mean, if you ask anybody, is anybody going to say, oh, no, I want death? No, no, I want, I want curses in my life. Nobody's going to say that. But a lot of times the way that we live our life, that's exactly the choice that we make. Israel themselves, how many times, man, God would bring them out of captivity, deliver them from this kingdom and that kingdom. But before you knew it, here they are. They're worshiping false gods. They're not obeying His commands. They're not loving Him with their heart and their soul. And so many times we can be the same. I want to jump to uh, John chapter 10. I'm not going to read the, the whole context, but I'm going to read uh, verse 9 and 10. We're, most of us are probably really familiar with verse 10. In verse 9 of John 10, it says, I am the door, Jesus speaking. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So who's the thief? The devil. And what's he, what's he come for? Kill, steal, and destroy, right? That, that's his, I mean, that's his purpose. I mean, we all have a purpose. That's what he's determined is his purpose. Man, I'm going to destroy, kill. I'm going to create as much mayhem as I can. You ever see the, what is it, state, state, uh, yeah, state, what what is it, Uh, the insurance company that always does that, state farm, you know, I'm mayhem, right? Well, that's, that's Satan. I mean, he he basically has decided he's mayhem. He's out here to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus, who's our Savior and our Lord, what did he come for? He came to give us life. Now, I have a question for you. Do you know what kind of life that is? We're going to talk about it in a minute, but anybody have any ideas? 
I'll give you I'll give you a hint. There's three different words used in Greek in the New Testament for life. This is one of them. Our dog actually has this name, Zoe. And 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 Zoe, every time that that word is used in the New Testament, is is talking about eternal life. It's talking about the life that only God can give. Now the other two are bios, which you might figure, well that must have something to do with biology. What what's biology? The study of, of life, right? And the processes. So it's talking about life from a physical dimension. Human life, plant life, animal life. It's talking about anything that's sort of biologically speaking. And the third one is called suke, which you might even be able to guess what that has to do with. Anybody can think of a science that actually sounds very much like suke? That psychology, which actually comes from the Greek word suke, which, which is talking more about um, the, the soul, the emotional, um, the ability to make a decision with our will, rationalize things, use our reason. It's talking about that. So, so one of the things we understand is that all humans can have bios, you know, physical dimension of life. All humans can have suke, the ability to reason, to rationalize, to make decisions. But only God can give zoe, eternal life. And he's not just talking about the, oh, okay, well, God has come to give you life, and so now you're going to go and spend to heaven with him, spend eternity with heaven. That's true, but he's talking about right now. I've come to give you Zoe life right now, that we're going to walk in that. And so we're going to talk a bit about that. So what are, what are some ways that the thief, the devil, comes in to steal, kill, and destroy? What's that? Depression? Doubt? Death? Temptations? What else? Because we often will say that. Oh, you know, the devil's out. He's just out to steal, kill, and destroy. (laughs) Any other thoughts? Well, I think it goes to some deeper things that play out in, in even some of the things you've shared. I think it has to do with value. He, he comes to steal your value. I mean, how many do you, oh, you're not, you're not really worth that much. I mean, that happens all kinds of ways, right? Maybe it's a family you grew up and they're, oh man, how come you can't be more like your brother? How come you can't be more like your sister? Oh, how come you can't be like their kid? Or maybe it's those around you. I mean, I was bullied as a kid, man. I was a skinny, four-eyed kid, man. I got made fun of all the time. And people all the time were reinforcing that I didn't have any value. You know, Satan uses those things to destroy the value that we have. We talk, we've been talking about that, the significance, the value that we have because we're created in the image of God, right? Another one's identity. You know, who am I? I mean, a lot of people say, well, I don't, I don't know who I am. I don't, know, I don't know why am I here. Well, we would say that that identity is supposed to come from, again, the fact that God created you, Jesus died for you, He loved you, He forgives your sins when you allow Him to. So all these things give me an identity that is in Christ. So again, the devil wants to say, oh no, your identity is in what you do. It's in how people see you. It's in your successes. Oh, when you fail, oh, see, you're nothing. You're nobody. Security. You know, what, what gives us security? I mean, in our world, oftentimes it's what we have, right? I mean, uh, in fact, I saw last night they were talking about, you know, how do you know your retirement is going to, you know, 
be able to, you know, provide for you when you get there. It's fear. Oh, you don't have security. You know, oh, you know, you, you lost your job. How are you going to? So people start depending on what? The government, themselves, whatever. So that the security that we have, again, he comes and takes that away. So what are the ways that Jesus comes to give us life? Again, we're talking about Zoe. And he says, abundant life. How does, how does Jesus come to do that? What's that? Provision? Healing? Is that what you said? Healing? Yep. Encouragement. Mm. So he keeps repeating the message. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. He reassures us, tells us who we are, why we have value, all the things we were just talking about, right? The things that Satan's trying to destroy. He's, he's always reinforcing. No, no, no. You have value. I know you. I, I love you. I died for you. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that you might have everlasting life, right? And again, that term, everlasting life, is Zoe. Um, so Jesus is ultimately talking about giving us life, living in a life right now that he has for us, as well as eternally with him. And Satan is committed to just the opposite doing everything he can to bring death, destruction, you know, just every lie possible. So we got to realize and say, if we have a right understanding that, you know, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full, or life abundantly. How does that affect the way that I live? How does that affect the way that I think? How does that affect what I believe, what I stand on. Because, again, a lot of times we have beliefs, but when something challenges that, if we don't really know why we believe that, then oftentimes we find ourselves somewhere completely the opposite. And you're like, wow, what happened? What happened? And so God wants us to be clear. He wants us to understand that this is the life that we now have. And so what does it mean when Jesus, uh, or when God in you know, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 says, I put it before you, life, death, blessing, cursing. And he says, choose life. What does that mean to choose life? And that's what we're going we're gonna to spend some time over the next weeks digging into that. You know, what does that mean to choose life? How does that play out? You know, does, does God want us as, as believers to have depression? I believe the answer is no. Does he want us to not understand our value? Of course not. Does he want us to be our bodies ridden with disease? No. No, I don't believe he does. Does he want us to just, you know, walk according to the way that the world is going? No. So what does it mean to choose life? I want to throw a few other scriptures out for us to think about. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, verse 14 to 17, we did a long study looking at this, you know, uh, 
probably about a year and a half ago. The whole series was called Transformation. And, you know, in 2 Corinthians 5.14, it says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It says because Jesus died, he didn't die just for one, he died for all. And because he died for all, we now live. But it's no longer I that lives, as Paul says, but it's Christ that now lives in me. And we talk about that. that I'm dead. Chris is dead. I'm now taking my dead life and giving it to Jesus. And Jesus gave me his life that was perfect. And so now I'm living his life and not my own. And so this is the life he's talking about. This is what Jesus says, I've come to give you that kind of life. The old way of life, gone. The old thought process, gone. We know when we get it, it's being re nude and reestablished, as it tells us in Romans 12, that we're not conforming any longer to the patterns of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind, that God is renewing the way that we think. It was changed in an instant in our spirit, but now our mind has to catch up. Our body has to catch up. John 5, 24. Jesus again speaking says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, again Zoe, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. So here's the deal, that when we accept Jesus, when we repent of our sins and acknowledge Christ as our Savior, we went from being dead to being alive. So that's when we chose life. Now we have to decide, are we going to choose to walk as those that have life? I mean, some people, I, I, I think that spiritually sometimes we're more like the, what they call the walking dead. That, you know, those who are on um, death row in a prison, they're, they're just waiting to die. I mean, imagine, you know that at some point you're going to die. You don't know when, but, but because of the, the actions that you took, you're going to die. So, so you're basically, they call them the walking dead. I mean, you're just, you're just kind of biding your time until you're done. But imagine if they're pardoned, and sometimes that happens. You know, last minute, they're literally taking them. They might even be sitting in there waiting to be executed, and they're, they're pardoned. Something happened. I mean, there's been people on death row, and all of a sudden new evidence comes up, and it's overturned, and then the next minute they're free. Now, wouldn't you imagine that person would live the rest of their life differently? Could you imagine if they still just said, you know, I'm just going to stay here in the prison? I mean, you know, this is my lot in life. I mean, this is what I was given. He said, no, 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 no. Your sentence has been gone. You're no longer dead. You're alive. Go out. Live a life. Like I said, oh, okay, I get it. But now I've got an apartment. I'm just going to stay in my apartment all day long because, I mean, I can't do anything. No, you can do anything you want. And I think many times as believers, we had a death sentence. We were dead in our sins. Not kind of injured, not sort of feeling bad. No, we were dead in our sins. And Jesus says, but now you got life. So he says, choose life. 
Choose life. Death is gone. The old is passed away. Your sentence has been remuted. It's gone. It's, it's gone. Your sentence for death, hell, and the grave, gone. Now you've got life. But yet many times we still live with this idea, well, I mean, I know theoretically, I'm, you know, I'm a new person, I'm a new creation, but we're still kind of like, acting like we're on death row. And that's what it's saying. Like, he say, oh, I'm just a sinner. Oh, no, you're not. Either Jesus died for your sins or he didn't. Either you actually were made alive or you weren't. Again, nobody, I mean, if you've ever been to a funeral where they have an open casket, nobody walks by that casket and goes, oh, I think he's still alive. Hey, man, just give me five. No, 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 he's dead. He's dead. He says, that's who you were, but that's not who you are. And Jesus says, then choose life. And so we need to allow God to really change our thinking so everything in our life we go, whoa, what does it mean for me to choose life? What does it mean for me to actually live as someone who no longer is dead in my sins? Sin no longer holds power over me. That's what Paul says. It doesn't have any power over me. I mean, imagine that guy who was, he was, he was just waiting to die. And now it's gone. I mean, he can go anywhere he wants, do anything that he wants. Death no longer holds anything over him. The sentence is gone. People can't look at him. They can say, well, wait, 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 wait. You're supposed to be. No, no, man. No, no, my death sentence was taken care of. I was supposed to be dead, but now I'm alive. So what does that look like? The Zoe. And then Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel abolish death. I mean, that's like when we say when Jesus died and rose from the dead, He gave death the death blow. and said, it's done. No longer does death hold any power over us. We don't have to be afraid of dying because the only thing that's going to die is this fleshly tent. It says to be away from this body is to be present with the Lord. What do I got to fear? I mean, nothing. It says, don't be afraid of a man that can take your physical body. Be afraid of God who can send you into eternal separation from Him. Hell. So we come back to these verses. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. I, have, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. And John 10, 10, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. So over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about that. What does it mean? What are specific ways that this relates to our life? What are specific ways that the enemy, the, the thief, the devil, tries to come in to steal, to kill, to destroy our life? But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I've come to give you life. By the way, I've abolished death and I've brought life. Life now and forever. 
So what does that mean? How does this impact our beliefs when it comes to friendships, to relationships, to marriage, to sexuality, to homosexuality, to abortion, to all these things that are they're huge topics in, our, in our, our culture right now. And a lot of times, in a lot of places, the church has caved into the worldly thinking. Why? I mean, the Word of God is clear. But I think a lot of times we don't understand why. We're like, oh, oh, oh. I mean, that because... We've allowed Satan to begin to deframe the conversation because we don't clearly understand what does it mean that God is actually the giver of life? What does it mean that he's come to give us life? Zoe, which is different than bios or suke. It's different than the physical existence that every human has. It's different than the, the will that, and the mind that every person has. That there's a dimension here that Jesus says only comes through his death and resurrection. Because that's what he says. I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. What's the foundation of these beliefs? See, a lot of times we don't know how to clearly articulate things to people because we don't clearly understand what we believe or why we believe it. So we're going to talk about that. How can we be clear? Not in an arrogant way, but just in a very consistent way confident way again i'm not saying you have to believe with like i do but i know what i believe and this is why i believe it now understand people will disagree with you and some people will call you small-minded some people will call you bigoted some people even now may label things that we would say as hate speech and you go wait 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 no 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 god so loved the world that he gave his son everything that stems from jesus life is based in true love selfless love, sacrificial love. What does that look like in our life? So what does it mean to choose life? What does it mean that Jesus came to give us life? These are some of the things we're going to talk about. And, and I hope that, you know, even, and feel free, you know, like even as we're walking through things, be involved with it. Because I'm not sitting here with all the answers. I believe the Word of God has all the answers. And that's where we're going to keep going. Because, quite frankly... We don't really need to know what Chris thinks. We need to know what what God says. And then we have to ask ourselves, okay, if this is clearly what God says, what am I going to choose? Because God said, "I'm, I'm giving you life. Jesus says, I've come to give you life, and life more abundantly or to the full. In other words, life beyond anything that you've ever imagined, because there's a dimension that nothing else in this world can do it. Because if it could, we would look at people that have everything this world has to offer, and we go, man, they should have a great life. But the vast majority of them don't have a great life. All the time we hear them. I mean, Philip Seymour. I mean, you look at this guy and you go, man, within, everybody knows who he is. He, he, has, he has done it. I mean, he's like a success in Hollywood. I mean, this guy, he's done it. Addicted to heroin. Ends up taking his own life. And you, you go, what happened? I mean, he had everything this life had to give, right? But, but he missed out on what Jesus is talking about. He chose death. And you're going, wow, that's so, that's so brutal. And so we got to say, wait, 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 am I choosing life? Because the world system is directed by who? The thief. And so if I'm going to buy into what the thief has to say, Guess what? I'm going down the road of destruction, death. 
where everything that's of value will be taken. Because he lies to people. See, they believe it all the time. Man, if you just did this, man, oh, then you'd be somebody. If you just attained this, if you just had this, if you, if you just had that person in your life, then. But they're all lies. Because have you ever met a thief that tells the truth? I mean, have you ever met a, a thief that actually lives honorably? No, they even talk about that honor among thieves. What does that mean? Bottom line is, if you hang out with scumbags, guess what? They will only use you until they don't need you anymore. And that's the way Satan is. He will use every single person until he doesn't need them anymore, then he casts them aside. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. I've come to give you life. I put it before you today. Choose life. So this is where we're going to go. This is what we're going to talk about. And, and we're going to get into you know, just some real stuff. Because again, it's not, sometimes we say, oh, well, you know, those are all controversial. Well, of course they're controversial because they pit Satan against Jesus. They, they pit a fleshly gospel against the eternal gospel. So of course they're going to be controversial because they're questioning the very nature of God, who it says is the giver of all life. He created all life. So wouldn't you think if somebody's out to debunk that, that it's going to create some controversy? Yes. And a lot of times we don't know how to deal with it because we're not really sure, well, what do I believe? And by and large, on a lot of these issues, if you look at, at young people in our culture, a lot of them have bought into the lies because the church hasn't spoke the truth. I mean, it's not, the, it's not their fault, really. I mean, if we didn't, you know, again, what did we say when we were talking about, you know, Jesse and, and Aaron bring up Dustin? It says, bring up your child in the way they should go. In other words, the ways of the Lord, and they will not soon depart from it. And I venture to say a lot of parents in the church have not brought their kids up in the way of the Lord. They've allowed the culture to educate their kids. Let me tell you what. A school teacher should not be the biggest voice in your, in your child's head. Friends should not be the biggest voice in your child's head. Now, am I saying they don't have influence? Of course they do. But let me tell you right now, as a, as a parent, my job is to be keep pushing them to Jesus. That Jesus is the number one voice in their head. Because they're going to do things other than what I tell them. They will. We've all done it. <laughs> we all have. But man, if the Holy Spirit is truly in their life, if Jesus is real in their life, that's what's going to bring conviction. Not me. Holy Spirit brings conviction, right? And that we can raise them in a way to say, may they choose life and know what that is. See, we don't believe things because it's just counter to the culture. You say, oh, well, that was, you know, that was true back then, but it's not true. And so people begin to talk away the word of God. Wait, no, 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 we, we don't understand. Got to bring it back to why is this an important question? Why does it matter? Because it's the very essence of who God is. He either did create life or he didn't. He either gives life or he doesn't. And if he does, then it should greatly affect the way that we think and the way that we live. And this is, the, this is the stuff that's really, I mean, it's really important. I don't, I, at, this, at this point in our culture, I don't know if there's a bigger conversation. Because, you know, this has happened many times. I mean, if you look in history, I mean, we see the same thing happened in the Roman culture. Actually, every, every huge dynasty, the same things have happened. You'd think we'd look back and learn, but we don't. And we think, oh, well, yeah, well, th- th- it's going to be different this time. No, it's not. It wasn't any different in the days of Noah. 
wasn't different in the days of you know, Rome. It won't be any days in the, different in these days if we continue on the road that we're going. The only hope we have is to come back to the very things that God calls us to. Will we choose life? Well, Lord Jesus, as we, uh, God, just begin this journey. And Lord, there's, a, there's a, some places where it, it creates even uh, some apprehension in me because, God, there's, there's just places that they're uncomfortable to walk. Partly because um, we don't want the world to dislike us. We don't want culture to dislike us. We certainly don't want people to dislike us. But Lord, at times, choosing life means that it shows up the road of death in a big way. Lord, even it says, Paul wrote in Corinthians, to those who are dead, we're the smell of death. But to those who are seeking life, we're the fragrance of life. So God, we've got to understand that Sometimes we're going we're gonna to smell like death to people, but, we're, but it's because we choose life. So God, I pray that you work in the soil of our hearts. God, that even as we read your word, that we would allow the Holy Spirit to be the revealer of truth. Not what anyone says, not what culture says, not even what I say, but what you say. That's what determines what's real, what's true, what's life. So God, be with us, strengthen us. May we be focused on being obedient to your word no matter what the cost. Because we want to choose life. In Jesus' name, amen.